0: Welcome to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast, where we discuss the world of IT and cybersecurity. Don't be left in the dark about what is going on in the world around you. Here is your host, Joe Gray. The first control that we are going to discuss, control number one, is the inventory of authorized and unauthorized devices. While it seems kind of common sense, organizations need to know precisely what devices they have, what devices are authorized, and devices that are explicitly unauthorized. For example, using a personal phone as a USB device on a computer that constitutes a secondary device and that is against some organization's policy. Therefore, it is a unauthorized device, if you will. With regards to this, how you implement the control would be you need to deploy an automated asset inventory discovery tool. This could be something as simple as having continuous vulnerability scans, which is something that we'll discuss in control number four, but you could also use a tool like angry ip scanner various ping tools or Nmap as a cron job that runs periodically hourly daily a few times daily weekly or what have you to actually see what hosts are there the problem that comes with this is that someone actually has to look at the results and compare it to something that's the hard part having the tools that do it is great, but it does absolutely nothing if you don't analyze it. It's very easy. It doesn't take much time. If you're using Linux, you can very easily run a diff between two files and see exactly what has changed. Not a problem at all. The second way, DHCP. You have a log with it. Enable a logging, which you should have logging enabled on everything anyway, in doing so, then you're going to better understand what systems have connected to your DHCP server. DHCP being dynamic host configuration protocol. It will assign IP addresses to your systems. Number three, ensure that all equipment acquisitions automatically update the inventory system. This depends on the size of your organization. If you're a very small organization, you may only have three people and the the person who purchases the inventory may also be the person who does scanning for new devices or what have you. You should always maintain an asset inventory of all systems, including printers, computers, servers, networking devices. At a minimum, you should have the network address, machine name, purpose of the system, asset owner, who it's assigned to. It would also be good to have your MAC addresses as well. Next would be Use network level authentication. This would limit and control which devices can connect to the network. It's just a good practice and you can also use it to inventory the data as well. Using network access control to monitor these systems if attacks occur. You can basically put the untrusted system in a different LAN and they may have less access. And then you can also use client certificates such as public key infrastructure assigning uh, certificates to the clients so that they actually have something to authenticate to and it shows the level of trust that you have in the actual infrastructure. Here is how advanced persistent security can help you implement control number one. First and foremost, of course, we can help you write the policy that's going to govern this. Furthermore, we can provide you the advice and in some cases, even the tools, specifically the open source tools, and provide a little bit of information on how to use them so that you can have everything in place. We can help you script things like a cron job that runs nmap or another ping tool across your network and even help you with getting the diff command and its operation down pat for your employees to use this. We can help you get port security up and running Sit tight. We are going to take a quick break and we will be back to discuss critical security control number two, inventory of authorized and unauthorized software. Are you looking for a place to advertise to the unique audience of IT security professionals and enthusiasts? Look no further. Advanced Persistent Security is seeking sponsors. This slot could be yours. Contact sales at advancedpersistentsecurity.net for more information. Thank you for sticking around through the break. We are back to discuss the inventory of authorized and unauthorized software. This is control number two in the SANS top 20. The first step is that you should deploy application whitelist technology that allows systems to run software only if it is on the whitelist and prevents execution of all other software on the system. This could be very simple. This could be very complex depending on the size of your organization and your policies. Secondly, you devise a list of authorized software and what version is required for each system, including servers, workstations, etc., and it should be monitored by file integrity checking tools like Tripwire to validate that the authorized software has not been modified, that someone's not turned it into a Trojan or put any other type of wrapper on it or anything of the sort that could change the integrity of it you should regularly scan for unauthorized software. You could do this using your intrusion detection system or vulnerability scanner, and essentially have it alert you whenever it finds something it shouldn't, such as executables, DLLs, any other things that go with files, and if it's a different version, it could alert you as well. You should also deploy software inventory tools throughout the organization for each operating system, for each function and role. For example, if you worked in a media environment, your tech team and your media team don't necessarily need the same software. I would not want someone whose whole job is to write stories to pitch to the news running something like, say, MySQL, or I wouldn't even want a database administrator running Metasploit. That should only be security personnel. Typically with security tools like Metasploit and other tools that could actually be used to perpetrate attacks, those are typically put on laptops and only put on the network when actively in use. The same would exist for say Kali Linux. The software inventory should be integrated with the hardware asset inventory so that you have the association between which hardware requires which software and so forth and so on. Dangerous file types, such as executable zip files and whatnot, should be monitored and blocked depending on what you're trying to do. You should use uh, virtual machines and or air-gapped systems. This is a direct quote from the SANS Top 20 to isolate and run applications required for business based on higher risk. If it's something that doesn't require the network, don't put it on the network. Use a virtual machine and isolate it or put it on a standalone workstation that is not on the network, which poses another challenging issue because you're going to have to update that machine at some point as well. Finally, deploy software that only provides signed software ID tags. It would be an XML file that's installed alongside the software and identifies the software, and it would help your Inventory and Asset Manager. How can advanced persistent security help you implement control number two, inventory of authorized and unauthorized software? Simply put, we can help you develop a policy for your software and how it is assigned to what workstations or servers it becomes installed upon. Furthermore, we can help you find repositories that would actually provide you integrity information and reputation data about the software you are using please sit tight as we take another break and we will be back to discuss control number three secure configurations for hardware and software on mobile devices laptops workstations and servers are you subscribed to this podcast if not please do so on itunes and at AdvancedPersistentSecurity.net/podcast. Thank you for sticking around through the break. We will now cover control number three, secure configurations for hardware and software on mobile devices, laptops, workstations, and servers. First and foremost, the first three are listed as quick wins and also in the first five, meaning they are the first five controls you should actually implement. To kick it off, number three one, Establish and ensure the use of a standard secure configuration for your operating system. The standard images should represent hardened versions of the operating system and you take unnecessary accounts, service accounts, rename administrator accounts, create other administrators, whatever, disable and remove unnecessary services, change your configuration such as Windows service path enumeration vulnerabilities, close unused network ports, implement your IDS, IPS, firewall, what have you, ensure that the antivirus is on it, and you should try to ensure that the configuration of these machines resemble each other very closely, meaning no two machines should be vastly different. Using the media and tech team example for an example, the media team should have one distinct baseline. They should all have the same software, the same configuration, the same capabilities. A user should be able to log in on one machine and have the identical experience that they have on the machine next to it. In an ideal scenario, everyone uses the same model of the machine, so the drivers are the same and it's easier to create a standard image. Moving forward, 3-2 implements automated patching tools and processes. This could be something like Windows SCCM or WSUS, Windows Server Update Services, or a third party solution such as SolarWinds or Landesk Patch Manager. This will keep everything up to date and basically the administrators don't have to go what I call door to door so that they can get every machine updated. With creating a standard image, In doing so, basically, you create a standard image every month, every quarter, or what have you, and then from that point forward, after the standard image is pushed, the only patches that you're having to push are those issued after the date that the image was created. Makes life a lot easier. The next one, limit administrative privileges to very few users who have the knowledge, skills, and ability. Furthermore, It doesn't matter if they have all three. If it is not part of their job, they still don't need administrative privileges. If you have a couple of non-technical users that have a special system that may need them to administratively do something or have a process on it, that's fine. Run it through management, and if they approve it, then just create them a local admin account. They should not have domain admin privileges. Next, follow configuration management policies. If you have them, if you don't, create a policy for configuration management. Essentially, what this will do is it will force any user that wants to change the configuration of their system to bring it to management's attention and go through a review process consisting of, say, one to three people at a minimum that will review the requirements and look at it from a budgetary and operational and just an overall business perspective, and approve or deny it. Next, you store your master images on securely configured servers validated with integrity checking tools such as Tripwire so that no one can come in and modify your master image. If possible, you should negotiate contracts to buy systems configured securely out of the box using standardized images. That way, your tech team staff has... Fewer things to have to update and change, but it's not always the case. Next, do all of your remote administration of servers, workstations, and whatnot over secure channels. There are some examples, such as Telnet, VNC, and RDP remote desktop protocol, that do not actively support strong encryption. You should always use something like SSL, IPSec. If you have to use something like a remote desktop, you can use it, but use it over an encrypted connection. So if you have to establish a VPN connection using IPSec to the system, that's fine. It's defense in depth. This reiterates file checking tools to ensure that critical files, including sensitive system and application executables, have not been altered. A lot of antiviruses can do this, especially the next generation endpoint protection wave of stuff. Next, you should implement and test an automated configuration monitoring system. The federal government is using what is called SCAP, Secure Content Automation Protocol. So what it does is it takes a security guide that you define and it will go through and ensure that, it, that the system meets that requirement. All requirements are met. It will output it all to you. It can tell you new ports that have been opened, new administrative users, changes to group and local policy, and any new services. The final part is deploy system configuration management tools such as Active Directory Group Policy Objects, GPO, on Microsoft systems, or Puppet on Unix systems that will enforce and redeploy configuration settings at regular intervals. That is quite possibly the easiest way to deploy any security guide. You can get some security guides from the Center for Internet Security. I will post the link to it there. NIST also has a checklist. Department of Defense has theirs through DISA, but you have to have DOD credentials to get many of them. They are there. How can advanced persistent security help you meet these requirements? We can help you build a policy to address everything that this control requires. And furthermore, we can conduct training with your technical staff of why these steps need to be taken and how to implement it. We can help you put together a configuration management program. We can help you build a secure baseline. And we can also conduct training with your users in the form of security awareness training that will help stress to them why everything within the policy is the way it is. We can also help you choose the right baseline and develop a process that you can actually make exceptions to the baseline to meet your business needs. Sit tight. We're going to our final break, and we will be back to discuss continuous vulnerability assessment and remediation. Don't forget to check out our blog at advancedpersistentsecuritynet slash blog. Follow us on Twitter at ADVpersistentSEC. And follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com Advanced Persistent Security. Thanks for sticking around through the break. We are covering the final topic of this podcast, which is continuous vulnerability assessment and remediation. This is near and dear to my heart. So to kick it off, we have one of the first five, Control 4-1, run Automated vulnerability scanning tools against all systems on the network on a weekly or more frequent basis and deliver a prioritized list of the most critical vulnerability to each system administrator, along with any risk scores that may be assigned. Furthermore, use a SCAP-validated vulnerability scanner that looks at code-based vulnerabilities and configuration-based vulnerabilities. This ties into control number three in terms of how you can better assess your security configuration baseline. For example, I have quite a bit of experience with Nessus, Security Center, and all the Tenable products, and you can actually load the SCAP audits into Security Center and Nessus, and it will actually conduct the audit for you and put the results into the same place as the regular vulnerabilities such as outdated versions of Flash, Shockwave Player, Java, etc. Next, correlate event logs with information from vulnerability scans to fulfill two goals. Going back to the Tenable scenario, Tenable also has a log correlation engine and a passive vulnerability scanner. So basically, you're allowed to look at passive, active, and log based vulnerabilities in one single location, and you can actually correlate the two. You can also tie it to your intrusion detection system, and it will even help you correlate it with that as well, and if, God forbid, that you are attacked, you can actually get more in-depth information as to how it happened. Moving forward to number 4-3, you perform vulnerability scanning in an authenticated mode, either with agents running locally on each system or with remote scanners with administrative rights. The remote scanners are probably the most ideal if you have a network of that size and if you are capable of using the administrative privileges. Another thing that you need to take into account is you will have to make some configuration changes to the machines to allow things like the remote registry service to run. Next, you should subscribe to Vulnerability Intelligence Services in order to stay aware of emerging exposures. With that, almost any vulnerability scanner is going to have that. Tenable has it. They update it daily. And then you should also be proactive in reading what's going on at a site like advancedpersistentsecurity.net, You should deploy the automated patch management tools, which ties into number three, using WSUS, Patch Manager, or SolarWinds. You should also look at the logs, which can be accomplished using a myriad of tools, log correlation engine, Splunk, and at advanced persistent security, we are also working on a tool that will accomplish this, but I'm not at liberty to give more details in regards to that. Number four seven is compare the results from back to back scans to verify that vulnerabilities were addressed. That is basically what I call a remediation scan or a validation scan and it allows you to determine if what you believe the fix to be actually solved the problem from their perspective. In some cases you may get false positives. You may update a product and it will leave a registry key behind and you have to go back and delete the registry key but otherwise the software was already off the machine. Then you should also ascertain what you need to accept in terms of risks, what are vital to business functions, and get approval from senior management in terms of the vulnerability itself. Next, measure the delay in patching new vulnerabilities and ensure that the delay is equal to or less than whatever your regulatory compliance and organization have set forth. For example, the Department of Defense has thresholds for the three levels of severity, Categories 1, 2, and 3. Category 1 vulnerabilities should be remediated within 30 days, Category 2 within six months, and Category 3 within one year. That would be measuring the delay. This can be used as a business means to determine if you have adequate security staff, how proactive your security staff is, and if there are any significant procedural hiccups, such as like a configuration management program. Next, you should evaluate critical patches in a test environment before pushing them into production. Always, always, always test if you can. If nothing else, if you have a machine that you can use, you just test for whatever baseline you're working with. Ideally, a virtual machine might be best, but you may not capture everything with that. And sometimes you can't really revert back, you can't uninstall the patch, so you would have to restore from a backup. And then finally, establish a process to risk rate vulnerabilities based on exploitability and impact of the vulnerability. Segment it, apply whatever mitigations you can, and then apply patches for the riskiest vulnerabilities first. That obviously would be the most sound idea simply on the premise of reducing your risk as appropriate. So, how can advanced persistent security help you with this? We can help you in more ways than you would ever imagine. We can help you, obviously, by creating a vulnerability management policy that would delineate things such as the thresholds and whatnot that the organization would implement to, say this is acceptable this is not this is how you patch these are the methods you are used. these are the authorized personnel to do it and we also offer vulnerability management services which would in effect have advanced persistent security personnel log into a system using a vpn or whatever means you desire we would log in and using your automated tools or manually we would update Your systems to whatever point you define. Finally, we can also conduct training with your technical staff on proper vulnerability management methods and discuss things such as lessons learned from our experience. That pretty much sums it up for this podcast. Check back next week for SAN's top 20 controls numbers five through eight, which will talk about malware defenses, application software, security, wireless access control, and data recovery capability. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. Until next time, stay secure, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.